0: The Wealth Standard Podcast is committed to inspiring you to be more financially free. There is no better time to gain clarity about your wealth strategy, your investments, and your financial future than now.
1: Hey, everybody. How you doing? Thanks for tuning in to this uh, kind of part two with Jason Hartman. Jason is another one of those deep thinkers that helps me to check my assumptions, check my perspective. And the podcast that we did a few months, well, it's been yeah, a few weeks, months ago with Richard Duncan, really sparked a lot of comments and questions around what's going on. And Jason and I really dive into, and this is something that I'll do in the next podcast episode with Andy Tanner, is you talk about what is the system that we are in right now, not what the system should be or what the Fed should be doing or what the government should be doing. It's what they are doing because those things we just don't have control over. And when we operate our mindset and subsequently our decision comes from that with something that doesn't exist, which is a a hope, oftentimes we make the wrong decisions. And so I think the more we understand about how the economy functions, how the short term debt cycles and specifically long term debt cycles, which is the monetary system, how they work, I think we can better understand where things are going. And so that's where I talked about Ray Dalio's How the Economic Machine Works. I think that's important to understand. I think it's a very well-articulated video that helps us understand the system that we're operating in. Whether it's good or bad, whether we think it should be another way or should be the way that it is, it doesn't matter. It's the way that it is, and that's something that we can't control. But we can't control how we operate and the decisions we make with our investments, with our money, with our wealth. So Jason and I start to get into it, and I think it's a perfect kind of introduction to the next episode, which is going to be with Andy Tanner, where we dive even deeper. Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for visiting the website, subscribing to the newsletter. We're trying to announce episodes and other things. Thank you for those who have taken advantage of some of the resources on thewealthstandard.com. Don't forget to go there for the show notes. Jason and I are mentioned a few things here that are notable. So make sure you go to show notes and capture those. Also, all of these are video recorded. So if you guys are listening, you can go over to YouTube. If you guys find yourself at home and want to watch the video as opposed to just listen to the podcast. So just go to YouTube forward slash the wealth standard and uh, you guys can subscribe there. Okay, that's it. Let's get to my interview with Jason Harmon. Thank you guys. Bye. Taking a break from the show. You know, entrepreneurs inspire me. I love meeting leaders of successful ventures who discover an idea, formulate the business, and then execute. You'd assume that they know how to structure their personal finances. I believed that too, but I was wrong. Entrepreneurs are never taught to effectively manage their wealth to work alongside their business and lifestyle. All of that work, effort, toil, and time wasted. Entrepreneur 101 is an online course that teaches you a financial strategy that works so that success is not a flash in the pan, but lasting. The spirit of the entrepreneur doesn't have to be compromised. Register for the Entrepreneur 101 course today for free at thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. That's Echo November Tango thewealthstandard.com forward slash E-N-T. Hey, Patrick, it's
2: good to see you again.
1: Hey, same here, Jason.
2: So one of those listener questions you sent over was about the economy growing and shrinking and uh, why that happens. So we could talk about the business cycle or a variety of things. And then we have to ask ourselves, right, Have the rules changed in an era of pandemics and riots, civil unrest? What do you think?
1: I'd first say that it's interesting that people are asking these questions. And I think it's because they're more aware of what's going on in society than they have been in the past. Mm -hmm. And this is a question that you can spend days on. I mean, there's whole PhD programs on why this and why that as it relates to the economy. I think the long and short of it, right, is the economy is just the measurement of resources that are used for particular purposes, right? And when an economy grows, I think that indicates that there is an increase in production, an increase in value. In a nutshell, in really easy terms, that's why economy grows, right, in theory, But I think our economy is different than when those kind of first economists started to define economies and then start to measure it. So today, our economy is in large part based on debt and consumption. And that's where it gets really complicated in a sense, because most people think that money is value, but money is ultimately debt, if you think about how money is created today. And it's a different monetary system than the past. Uh, At the same time, the more you understand about that, the more questions I think you can ask, because although our economy grows, right, GDP, well, obviously right now, but previous to COVID, economy was growing at a small percentage, okay? But also what was growing was the expansion of credit and debt, right? So that is what expanded, I would say, overall economic growth. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: So, yes, we live in an economy that's built on a house of cards, essentially, and money is created through debt and this crazy fractional reserve banking system we have. Both of us have studied that stuff a lot. If people don't understand it, believe me, it's really obscure and it's hard to get your head around. It's just so weird. Read books like A Creature from Jekyll Island. We both know G. Edward Griffin, of course. I'm sure you've interviewed him. I know I have on my podcast several times. And it's just hard to get your head around this stuff. Even if you think you get it, it's like there's another layer. You can keep peeling back the onion on this. But I do think we'd be remiss if we didn't just talk for a moment about the good old fashioned business cycle. And that's largely an Austrian economic type of thing. And if there's any economic school of thought that I most subscribe to, and I think you too, it's the Austrian school. And the Austrian school is, and by the way, this is by no means an academic definition. Um, it's just a sort of man on the street view of it is where they would say that the opposite of it would be John Maynard Keynes. The opposite it would be Karl Marx, who, by the way, Karl Marx, as much as I don't like him and don't agree with him, I have to give him credit. Uh, he's responsible for the deaths of hundreds of millions of people. I'm not getting, giving him credit for that. I definitely do not like his ideas, but he is far and away the most influential economist in world history. He changed the world massively. The entire Soviet Union was based on his idea. Sometimes you need
1: contrast, Jason. You need contrast to understand the value of one system versus when it's compared to something else.
2: I love it. That's a great, glad you pointed that out. That's really good. So Austrian school would say... The way to create wealth is through capital formation and production. That's like reality, right? And it totally makes sense. Mm-hmm. But we don't live in that world, <laughs> as you were alluding to a moment ago. We don't live in a world of reality. We live in a world of money being a super symbolic idea and really literally an idea based on fiat. We live in a world where Keynesianism it has... Prevail largely, and it is the way it is. So, but going back to that Austrian school business cycle concept, let's just talk about that for an idea. So, they would say that the economy always acts in cycles. And if you're looking at a chart, it goes like this, right? And there's this cycle where it's a boom time and there's expansion. And more inventory of products and services is created. And I even say inventory in the world of services, because if we look at what happened during the shutdowns, when nobody could get a haircut, nobody could go to a nail salon, nobody could get a massage, nobody could get a lot of stuff, right? Those are all services, right? So even services have an inventory in a sense, right? Because if those businesses go out of business, which many of them will or have already, There's lower inventory, okay? Now, we mostly think of inventory in terms of widgets, right? So this is an economic widget, right? And so inventories expand because manufacturing expands, credit expands, and everything's going well, and there's a wealth effect, and people feel good. And then that gets to a point where people start to wonder. They start to lose faith in the system. They think, gosh, this can't go on forever, right? maybe we better save a little money for a rainy day. Maybe the sun won't always be shining, okay? And they start to rain in their horns a little bit. And then you see the stock market pull back, right? And you see some bad days occur. And then you see the houses in your neighborhood aren't selling for those crazy prices they once were selling for. Then you see, well, maybe it's not quite as easy to get a raise at my job or to get a new job or to get that promotion, or maybe my company laid a few people off, and people start to get a little bearish, right? So that sets up for the next cycle, which is the bust, right? So I'll, I'll let you.
1: Yeah, some. those are great. Those are great thoughts. And if you think about it, the growth and the crash of economies is in large part the dance between the rational and the irrational. And I think from the rational side of things, right? It's I think people are naturally wired to grow first and foremost and then they're wired to either get the same for less okay or get more for the same okay meaning the phone right the efficiency of of phone and technology right you're paying a little bit more but look at how much more you're getting compared to 5 years ago 10 years ago right sure. or you get the same for less price i mean the i think the apple the new c version of it right is is much less at the same time, it still does a lot. Right. So I look at just in a nutshell, that's kind of the rational side of things. But then like you alluded to, Jason, you have the irrational side of things, which is emotion. A lot of times it drives behavior okay, for one direction or another. And when someone becomes afraid, they behave a certain way. When somebody is excited, they behave a certain way. There's like an investor curve, right? As far as risk levels are concerned. And the highest risk investment is when there's like peak euphoria. Right. But the best time to invest, right, is when there's the greatest fear and despondency of people.
2: <laughs> right. The blood in the streets metaphor, right? Yeah. 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 Buy when there's blood in the street and sell when everybody's partying.
1: Right. Exactly. So that's kind of like, I would say, very Austrian way of looking at things. But I would say the thing that it's important to understand about the Austrian school of economics is it's based on freedom, there's no government intervention. If somebody makes a bad choice, whether it's starting a business yeah. or allocating capital to something. No and bailouts. And they fail, yeah. right? There's no bailouts. They have to right. fail. They go bankrupt. They go out of business. Yeah. And right. that's necessary for the learning experience of how people provide a service, provide yeah. a good to make sure that what their ideas in their mind is actually in demand in the economy. Right. And that's it's, what I love about creative the
2: creative destruction. For, for sure. Jupiter's sure. Schumpeter's creative yeah, it's the destruction. great,
1: you know, we're so afraid of failure. But failure is one of the greatest teachers, especially in business. Mm -hmm. And if you just continue to Band-Aid and Band-Aid and Band-Aid and Band-Aid something, the bone is eventually going to break. The wound is eventually going to get infected and a person's going to die.
2: That's a very good point. And I would put it maybe another way, though, because we all saw that with the bailouts, right, in the Great Recession. And a lot of people were very upset about the bailouts and the bailouts prevent they artificially prevent what needs to happen. And those failures, those bankruptcies, those businesses going away, it needs to happen. And when you don't let it happen, when you interfere with the process, when the government comes in and bails them out, then you get this situation where you're encouraging bad behavior, there's a moral hazard, as they say, and these companies, and then the greater economy in general, Become, they become like these zombie companies. And then the whole economy becomes like this zombie economy where, think of it this way, when you wake up in the morning and the first thing millions of people do is they have a cup of coffee. I know it's the first thing I do pretty much, <laughs> okay? And you wanna kind of jumpstart your system and your system will naturally wake up. I mean, Pat, you don't drink coffee, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do, and I didn't used to. Okay. I had this girlfriend got me into Starbucks years ago. And ever since then, I've been addicted, right? Not to not to them, but just coffee in general. And so now I need it, but you don't need it. Okay. And you still wake up, <laughs> but I kind of need it as a crutch, right? Because my system has become used to it. And so after a while, you, you know, like any form of addiction and caffeine is an addictive substance, like, Many other things, many behaviors, drugs, alcohol, that's what we think of as addictions, overeating, whatever. But there's lots of little addictions we all engage in all the time, okay? Little addictive behaviors here and there, little compulsions. And what the nature of it is, is you always need more to get the same result. And the same thing happens to zombie companies and zombie economies. The poster child of this would be Japan, okay? And Japan has had they first had the lost decade, then they had the lost two decades, and then going into the lost three decades, where their economy just, no matter what you do, it just kind of can't really get to where it was. And they have the highest debt to GDP ratio, about two hundred and thirty percent, of any developed country, because they basically keep spending into it, and after a while it just doesn't work anymore
1: and those debt levels continue to grow and so forth so right. you know i love one of your 10 commandments of real estate investing because it alludes to using debt and using debt mm-hmm. using leverage as part of purchasing an asset because these days people don't use debt to purchase their assets and purchase their savings and what it does it kind of goes against our current economic system which is fueled by by debt i mean debt yeah. is essentially priced into everything, including real estate and including cars. So you look at what exists today, whether it's the Japan economy or whether it's our economy, and the growth of the economy in large part is due to credit expansion when there is stimulus. And that's why the Federal Reserve in the United States has had to do constant quantitative easing right, and continue to expand because they have to grow. And the reason why they have to grow is because there's interest it's due on the debt, right? And they need to pay the interest. Yeah. So it's one of those things where they have to grow the economy so that there's greater output, greater taxes, which then pays pays the it's, debt. It's a treadmill. It's a it, treadmill. It is, and so, that's where Richard Duncan. I'm not sure how much you have yeah. studied him. I had him yeah, on.
2: he's been on my show several times.
1: Yep. Yeah, and you know he, I think, understands as well. Not to say that it's a good system. I think it's an incredibly flawed system, but it's mm-hmm. the system that we have. And as credit expands, things are most likely going to grow. As credit contracts. Things are going to crash, yeah. but this is the thing. It's like debt is like an accelerator. It's like you know gasoline or, or jet yeah. fuel. It's to an accelerator, yeah. Right? right. It just it sure. makes everything go quicker, faster, and worse.
2: Right. That's a great point. And the difference between using leverage to say buy real estate versus a country or bailing out companies that shouldn't be bailed out or spending on the welfare state, that isn't really a capital investment. Whereas the property you're buying, as long as it's a sensible property, is a capital investment. Look at the bottom line, and maybe we can wrap up this little segment with that, is that the idea is, if you want to create real wealth, you've simply got to have capital formation. The capital can come in the form of savings to invest or in terms of assets that produce income. That's it. Like, it's really that simple, okay? You know, you cannot spend on welfare programs or bailing out zombie companies to grow your economy. That's not the way to spend your way out of it. It it just gets progressively more difficult, requires more stimulus every time, more caffeine every time. That idea. Yeah.
1: So So I'll end with this, Jason, which is, I think, really interesting when I realize this. But let's say you have a government worker that is renting a home that you own, that you've purchased with leverage, you purchase it the right way. They're paying, but the way in which they're paid is based on the government being able to debt and be able to provide capital in the form of debt so that that person can get paid. Same thing with if a person works for a Fortune 500 company that is fueled in large by corporate bonds, which they use right to capitalize their company and work their company, grow their company. That money is then used to pay this person, who then pays the rent on your property. Same right. thing with the suppliers of lumber, yep. uh, you know, builders. You know, in large part, a lot of that supply comes from being able to have access to debt, which allows them to produce. So it's an, it's interesting yep. just to see debt is this is that kind of foundational thing domino that's required these days in order for the economic machine to be working
2: we live in a world of credit-based assets and Mm -hmm. when the credit dries up things get tough and there's another cycle right there good stuff pat thanks for having this talk with me
1: this was great i love the conversation we kept it as simple as you can thank you for listening to the wealth standard podcast Be sure to visit the show's official website, thewealthstandard.com, for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Guest opinions are their own. If you require specific investing, financial, legal, tax, or any other specialized advice, please consult an appropriate professional. We welcome and appreciate reviews of the show head on over to iTunes or Stitcher to leave your review. And don't forget to subscribe to the show to get access to every new episode and exclusive interviews this season. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.